So this week's reading is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 31, and then chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I'll just give you a moment to find it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate from the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God said that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own, kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give lights upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give them light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, Every living creature that moves, with which kinds the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God, God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply the, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, Livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock. And over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created the man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant, yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. 
And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earths were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, and that he had done. He, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, it is a great honour and privilege to be opening God's word uh, to you all this morning. Um, hopefully, uh, we can all learn something together today. Uh, but yeah, I just want to thank Jared and, and the elders uh, for giving me this opportunity, uh, both uh, as an intern here at High Wycombe and this opportunity to uh, preach to you this morning. Uh, but located on the very first page of our Bibles uh, is our text today. And it's one of great interest uh, and impact. It's marvellous and it's awe-inspiring. Um, it's a profound and mysterious text. But it is also one of great controversy and debate. Uh, it's quite broad and huge in its scope. Uh, so today uh, we'll be mainly just doing a wide-lensed fly over the text, uh, but maybe next time we can come back and get into the nitty-gritties. Um, but before uh, we begin, uh, let's pray. Dear God, you are powerful and your word is powerful. Please change us with your words this morning. May the words uh, that I speak be your words, and may you open our eyes, ears, and hearts to what you have to say. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, what I want to say to you this morning, to begin, uh, is that I might say things that you'll disagree with. I might say things uh, that will challenge you, or perhaps even offend you. Uh, so if you look under your chairs, uh, you might find some uh, tomatoes provided for you. Feel free to just let loose on me. Um, uh, but seriously, I want to urge you all uh, to consider this question. Are the words that I'm speaking in alignment with and subject to the Word of God? Is what I'm communicating drawn from this text, or is it just twisted up Olympic-level gymnastics uh, of the words to fit my own agenda? Uh, so let's consider these things. Um, now, I desire that this sermon would be subject to the Word of God, uh, but why should I desire such a thing? And why should you guys desire such a thing? Well, it's extremely fitting that the opening pages of God's Word, we learn a thing or two about this very thing. Uh, I don't know if all of you here have seen the first Spider-Man movie, uh, the one with Tobey Maguire, which, in my opinion, is the best Peter Parker. Uh, but there is this classic scene where he's standing on top of a skyscraper and he's moving his wrists around, contorting them in all sorts of positions. Um, in this scene, he's trying to shoot webs from his wrist. Um, but he's also saying a whole bunch of things, like, Shazam! Go, web, go! Fly! And something along the lines of, up, up, and away, you whip. Eventually, he figures it out, and uh, from that point onwards, uh, he is a web-throwing master. Uh, I think sometimes we can think of these things, uh, think the same thing of the things we say with our mouths, 
for instance, if we were to follow the advice of some self-help gurus, uh, they might tell you to stand in front of the mirror and, and say the exact right flattering things to yourselves uh, in order to be successful in society or something like that. Uh, but even in, within Christian circles, uh, this happens. Like, if we pray the exact right formula, uh, God will answer our prayers, as if he was some kind of genie or something like that. Uh, there are also certain groups within broad evangelicalism uh, that believe we can actually verbalize the things that we desire and that eventually these things will manifest themselves, a sort of name it and claim it, if you will. All of these different forms are part of the same idea that our words have power, specifically supernatural power over reality itself. But none of these things can actually deliver. The words in the mirror mean nothing unless you get off your butt and work. God doesn't need us to offer Him eloquent prayers in order for Him to answer. And we certainly can't create things out of thin air with our mouths. But in direct contrast to this, what we learn about God in the very first chapter in His Word is that His words are infinitely powerful. Take a look at verses 1 to 3 with me. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So, firstly, God creates the heavens and the earth. And at this point, uh, the earth is essentially a giant vat of water and the heavens uh, empty darkness. Now, we could literally talk about this for an entire sermon, uh, but that's not the goal of today, uh, so I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> but notice the very first thing written, uh, immediately after God spoke and said, let there be light, it says, and there was light. When God speaks things happen. If I say, let there be a tree, there will not suddenly be a tree sprouting out of the ground through the foundation and uh, providing us with sweet, juicy apples for morning tea. Um, uh, but when God speaks, uh, things do indeed happen. Um, sorry, where was I? Yes, when God says, let there be light, or let there be an expanse above the waters, it happens. Or, let there be dry land. It also happens. Or, let there be vegetation. Or, let there be the sun, moon and stars. Or, let there be animals of all different kinds, occupying the air, land and sea. It all happens. And this is evidenced in verses 7, 9, 11, 15, 24 and 30 by the refraining words, And it was so. That proceeds after God verbalizes His creation. We spoke briefly already about the idea of naming and claiming. Well, God does exactly that. He displays His authority uh, with His words when He calls the light day and the dark He calls night. We also read explicitly that He gives names to the heavens, uh, the land and the sea, thus staking His claim and authority over them. Now, there is another section in which God speaks, that is, in His creation of mankind, in verse 26. He says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There is a multiplicity of persons speaking here that clearly points to a Trinitarian act of creation. 
That is God the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit active in creation. This triune God creates man in its own image. And so far, what we have seen is an image of authority. The created man is given the purpose of ruling over the other creatures of the earth. Notice, every time God speaks, it is with authority. Previously, He creates the sun and moon as lights to rule or or govern the night and day. Then He commands the animals to multiply and fill the earth. Then, in verse 28, God begins to speak again. This time, He gives Adam and Eve the dual command to both multiply and rule over creation. He says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. So what does this all tell us? What does this authority of God's speech with the ability to breathe words uh, and create matter out of not even thin air mean for us? Well, it means that if this God, who is the God of the universe, who spoke you into existence, who owns all of creation, including but not limited to the trillions and trillions of electrons bouncing around in the atoms that make up every cell in your heart, if this God has given us a commandment, then we must pay attention. I say it again, if this God has given us his written words, then we must pay attention. Later on, we will assess how well we have gone in paying attention to even just this first commandment here in chapter 1. But before that, I want to highlight another profound characteristic of God that we learn from this passage. So we've seen that one, his words are infinitely powerful and authoritative. And now two, we see uh, that he is a God of order. Right off the bat, you can see there there is quite a lot of structure in this passage. We have each part of creation separated by seven days, which are all qualified by morning and evening cycles. Uh, This is a large uh, reason as to why I believe we are reading about seven literal days rather than metaphorical ones. Uh, But the structure is then followed down into the order of creation itself. Days one, two, and three, God creates the spaces of the heavens, of the water, uh, sky, and land. Uh, Then on days four, five, and six, uh, He creates the sun, moon, stars, and creatures that fill these spaces. There is also a certain chronological order to all of this. And it is in this specific order that I want to highlight a particular word. That word is separate. So let's take a chronological journey through ancient history, noticing this word as we go. So at first, God creates the earth as a ball of water and the heavens as darkness. Uh, Then he says, let there be light, and he separates the light from the darkness, creating day and night. That's day one. Then on day two, from the water that he has already created, God creates an expanse in the midst of the waters and then separates it from the waters to form the sky or atmosphere. On day three, God gathers the waters into one place in order to, for the dry land to appear. Thus, he separates the land 
from the water. Notice it's dry land, not wet. He also creates vegetation of all different types, each according to their kind. I would argue that this process of creating all different kinds of plants is in and of itself an act of separation or categorization. Uh, day four, God creates the sun and moon to indicate or separate the light uh, from the, the day from the night. And on day five, God again creates all sea creatures and birds according to their kinds. And on day six, the phrase according to its kind appears five times. In this act, God creates the beasts of the earth, separating them into their own kinds too. The greatest kind of the land-inhabiting creatures is none other than humankind. Now, when we get to the last day, God blesses it and makes it holy because it is the day that he rested uh, from the work that he had done the previous six days. The word holy is short. It only contains four letters, uh, but it's of great significance in the Bible. And sometimes it can be greatly misunderstood. Uh, sometimes when people think of holiness, uh, they think of some guy in really long robes and a pointy hat. And sometimes we can think of a Puritan hunched over a candlelit desk, handwriting theological works. Um, usually, though, we just associate it with uh, being good or without sin, uh, which is certainly part of it. However, the primary meaning of the word holy is separate. So when God blesses and makes the seventh day holy, he is actually separating or setting apart uh, that day from the others. He does this as he himself is holy and is a separate God. He is separate to and greater than his creation. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says that the seraphim call out to one another, proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So a holy God creates the universe using a holy method. In summary of what we have just looked at, God is a God of order. We see this clearly outlined in his orderly way of creating things, specifically via separating them. The idea of separation uh, can sometimes be something that we flinch at um, because it has negative connotations of being divided or in conflict with someone. Uh, however, let's set aside our connotations that we, we bring into other concepts and think of it this way. If you were to take uh, a bunch of ingredients, cook them up, and then mix the ingredients, uh, you'd be left with something that is called a soup. Uh, but if you were to go to a lunch bar and the lady behind the counter applied this same process to making you a sandwich, uh, I think you would be uh, pretty disappointed. Um, so separation is actually a good and orderly thing in this world. The separation that God does in creation is a good and orderly thing. In fact, when the ingredients of creation are even slightly mixed, we call it a natural disaster. <laughs> the God of this universe is a God of order, and he has given us what you could call an order of authority. I've already implied this order so far, but to put it plainly, the order we see in Genesis 1 is God, man, animals, and plants. God is the ultimate authority. 
And he created all things by his mere words. Mankind is God's image bearers who rule over the other creatures uh, under God. To some, this idea that humans are more valuable and have authority over animals is troubling. They believe that all life is equal, whether it be an ant or an elephant or a human. Uh, But even intuitively, we all know this isn't the case. If you were driving down to Albany uh, for a trip, as as I know many of you do, including myself, uh, and you saw a kangaroo lying on the side of the road dead, you might not even bat an eyelid by the time you go past the third one. But if you replace that roo with a human, your trip will come grinding to a halt. All holiday plans will be thrown out the window as you deal with the far greater issue directly in front of you, that being the issue of a human life. Uh, Under animals, you could make the case that plants belong there. After all, the plants are given to the animals uh, as food in verse 30. Uh, But again, we intuitively know this to be true. Uh, Plants are about the only thing you can eat today without offending someone. Uh, So to recap, uh, we have seen two major aspects of God's character. That being that his words bear authority and that he is a God of order. His words are authoritative and he is a God of order. Those two uh, words we don't usually associate with creativity, authority and order, Uh, And yet God, the creator of creators, displays both of these. Now, let's take a bit of a survey into what mankind has done with both of these characteristics of God. Let's start with God's word. We've established that his word is authoritative and powerful. He speaks and things happen, unlike us. He has also given us a portion of this authority as unique creatures made in the image of God. And he gave us this blessing in the form of an instruction. He commands Adam and Eve to fill and subdue the earth. But how is this generation of ours doing at this? Well, I think a great place to start uh, would be to check out some statistics. According to Macro Trends, the worldwide birth rate per 1,000 people in 1950 was just under 38 Today, that number has plummeted to an all-time low of 17.5. And friends, this is not just a small, unique time during the COVID-19 years. Uh, No, this has been a steady decline uh, since 1950. Out of the last 73 years, there hasn't been one single uh, year where the birth rate increased. Compounded with this is the ever-increasing rate of abortion. We've reached the point where one in five pregnancies result in abortion. Last year alone saw that 73 million babies uh, were killed in the womb, which is actually a very conservative number, uh, but it's only just shy of three times uh, the population of Australia. These two basic stats alone show us that as a human race, we are both passive and active in disobeying God's instruction to multiply and fill the earth. Passive in that the rate of birth has halved in the space of a single lifetime and active in that we are wiping out what would be effectively the 20th largest country each year. 
So moving on from those statistics, what about the other side of this dual command? That being the instruction to rule over creation. Well, this is tied to what we have done with God's order. Again, we have established that God has created his world in an orderly fashion, separating things from other things and separating the seventh day as a holy God would. So how have we fared at maintaining God's created order? I mean, if you observe Western society, uh, we're quite systematic. And if the last few years have taught us anything, uh, we are downright obsessed with procedures, policies and processes. Uh, but that is human instituted order. When it comes to God's created order for us, uh, the story is quite different. Many of the major social movements of the past few decades are absolutely pitted against the order of God. Perhaps the foremost of this uh, is the Greens movement, which has basically dominated the focus of the human race uh, in the last few decades. From the New York Times in the 1960s predicting uh, that we would all vanish in a cloud of blue steam uh, within the next 20 years, right up until now where we've somehow managed to survive the prophecy made by Greta Thunberg in 2018 that all of humanity would be wiped out if we did not cease using fossil fuels. Now, just to be explicitly clear, I'm not speaking out against the goodness of taking care of God's green earth. In fact, I, I challenge anyone to find uh, a single Christian on the face of God's green earth who would say that we should be dumping truckloads of plastic into the ocean. No one is saying that taking care of the planet is opposed to our beliefs. However, the environmentalist movement has moved beyond taking care of the planet and into the realm of distorting God's word and order. Rather than humans multiplying and ruling creation, humans are considered the scum of the earth who are just here to pollute and destroy, sucking the life out of creation like parasites. This, combined with the conspiracy-level apocalypse predictions, is why population control is considered good and that human authority over creation is considered evil. Just to give you an example, uh, PETA, uh, that's P-E-T-A, the world's leading uh, animal rights organization, not PETA, the dude, uh, <laughs> have decided it would be a good idea to use AI to produce their own translation of Genesis. They play fast and loose with God's word by referring to animals as beings rather than beasts or creatures. This is based on the pretense that animals are sentient and equal to humans. So Peter is happily distorting the word of God in order to suit their own order of creation. So we have seen that the pro-abortion movement directly disobeys God's command to be fruitful and multiply, and that the extremist Greens movement directly undermines God's order and purpose for us to rule over creation. Uh, the third movement I would like to briefly mention is transgenderism. Not only do we get confused about whether humans and cows are the same, now we get confused as to whether men and women are the same. Uh, however, if you look at verse 27, it explicitly says that God created mankind to be male and female. It is binary, uh, and there are only two options. For a, social, uh, for a society to continue to exist, you need both biological men and women um, Throwing this out the window again throws out God's order and disobeys his command to fill the earth. So possibly the three biggest movements of our time 
uh, extreme environmentalism, the pro-abortion movement and transgenderism are all distorting both God's word and order. We open the first page of our Bibles and we see that the world is at odds with it. To conclude this survey of how we're going, uh, I think it's safe to say the machine of this world is undoubtedly out of order. All of the stuff I have said to you may be prompting a range of emotions. Uh, Maybe you're angry at the world. Maybe you're angry at me. Uh, Perhaps you're sad and, and feeling hopeless. Or you could be feeling a sense of longing or desire uh, for a time when there is no more sin, no more killing, no more ludicrousness reigning in our government systems. Well, I tell you this, on the seventh day that God blessed and made holy is the day that he rested from all his work in creation. And why is that significant to us? Well, because God is still resting. And this rest implies that he is seated on his throne, ruling from above with complete control and authority. One day we too can enter into this rest. One day God will wipe away every tear. One day God will cause the child to play peacefully by the cobra's den. This is the imagery of the new creation spoken of on the other side of your Bibles in Revelation. Where the story all began is where it all finishes. But better this time, there won't even be a sun nor moon as God himself will be the light that illuminates uh, the new heavens and new earth. In God's new creation, there will be no more chaos. There will be perfect goodness and order. Not a tyrannical, oppressive order, but a loving, peaceful, restful order that is found in the presence of God. The question still stands, how do we get to this new creation? Well, the answer is God. Just as God did all the work in creation, uh, as we read the very first words that say, in the beginning, God, he also does all the work in getting us to the new creation. See, after Adam uh, brought sin into the world by disobeying uh, God's command not to eat the forbidden fruit, the pattern has continued every generation since. The sin that we commit is the only thing that we bring to the table. The triune God does all the work by sending uh, his son and that the son willingly volunteers to go. The son incarnate, Jesus Christ, then dies for his creation. This death is literally God punishing his perfectly obedient son instead of us. This is the very kickstart to bring the engine back to firing in order. Now we still have a long way to go, uh, but God is making all things new. And he does that uh, for me and for you. We don't really fathom the full extent of the greatness of this. In the beginning, before the space-time continuum existed, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit literally creates the entire universe with his vocal cords. Like the Milky Way that we know, our galaxy, is mind-blowing in its sheer size. But what's even more mind-blowing is that there are estimated to be somewhere around 100 to 200 billion galaxies in just the observable universe, and some of these galaxies make our Milky Way look like a speck. And God, on the fourth day, simply said, let this be, and it was so. And it's truly astonishing that this same God, who hum- this same God is the God who humbled himself 
to become like us and die a humiliating criminal's death on a cross to pay the price for us, the real criminals. The sin of this world is not only out in the world, but it dwells here in this building within ourselves. Our Creator has given us a second chance at a second creation, and He has made it exceptionally easy by doing all the work by dying for us. Simply, we must repent, which is to turn from our sin, uh, to hate our sin and to run away from it. We have to run towards God, who is freely, will freely welcome us into His rest. No matter how bad you think your sin is, God can make you holy and separate, put aside for His new creation, His new heaven and earth. Have we not seen His power this morning? By His power, He can make you, you a new creature. He can bring you from darkness into light and from death to life. All He asks of us is to put our trust in the death of Jesus Christ to be the only way of salvation from the penalty of sin. Let's uh, pray now and ask Him to grant us this. Dear God, You are the creator of the universe and You spoke it all into being with Your powerful words. Thank You for giving us Your words so that we may read it and be changed by it. But God, we know that we can be passive to obey and active to disobey Your commands. We recognize that as a human race, we have messed up Your order of creation. Please give us repentance, the will to turn from our sin, and give us faith, faith in your sacrifice uh, for us on the cross for our sins. Please grant us these things, we pray in your holy name. Amen.